0: So we come to the time of the proclamation of God's Word. And our sermon text, as we continue through this Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes is Ecclesiastes chapter 5 verses 1 through 7. You can find that in your worship folder on page 8 if you wish to follow along. Hear now God's Word. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Draw near to listen. To draw near to listen is better than to offer sacrifice of fools, for they do not know what they are do, that they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God, for God is in heaven, and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For a dream comes with much business, and a fool's voice with many words. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for He has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than you should vow and not pay. Let your mouth lead you, lest your mouth. Let not your mouth lead you into sin. Do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For when dreams increase, words grow many, there is vanity. But God is the one you must fear. This is God's word. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we ask once again that as your word is proclaimed, you would give us Ears attuned by the grace of your Spirit to hear as you attend unto them, so that in hearing we might believe, and in believing we might be renewed in our faith and rest all the more in the grace of your calling through Jesus Christ our Lord, in whose name I now pray. Amen. So, why do you worship God? What is the very reason? you come on Sunday morning on the Lord's Day and gather with His people. We know that people approach God and worship for many different reasons. Sometimes people are merely curious, wanting to see why God's people gather. What is this thing called worship that they do on the Lord's Day morning? Sometimes people come to worship because that's what they have always done as they have grown up and part of the church it's part of their culture their tradition others go to church to worship because they like the sense of belonging to something and others still go because well they like to be noticed they like to be acknowledged as a good person And many people today go to church simply because they want to feel good. Worship to them is therapy. And God has become their therapist. They want to feel better about themselves and about life. But God, as we see in the scriptures, is no therapist, He's your creator. He is the maker of heaven and earth. He is high and lifted up. He is holy, holy, holy. He is far above what you can ask and think and imagine. And His power is greater than we can comprehend. There are no words to describe His purity and His holiness. And so when we come to worship God, we must do so carefully. We must, as Solomon the preacher, admonishes us here in this text this morning, we must worship God in fear. Israel in the Old Testament often forgot this reality. They went into the temple, they offered their sacrifices according to the ceremonial system God had given them, but they did so with zero reverence. They did not fear God. And their worship was just a mere routine, part of their cyclical life under the sun. And that indeed was a vanity of vanities. Worship had become meaningless and senseless. But we live in a day where the church, the people of God in this present age, have unfortunately done the same our worship often becomes so flippant. We pray prayers, we sing songs because of how they make us feel instead of doing it because we fear the Lord our God. Well, here in Ecclesiastes 5, Solomon, the preacher king, gives us a remedy, an antidote to flippant worship and irreverent praise. And he shows us how we must approach God. And in the end, what we see is that when we do approach him in fear, it ultimately leads us to what we need most. The grace of the gospel of Christ our Lord. So how then do you worship God in fear? Well, first of all, when you worship God, you must listen first. When you worship God, you must listen first. First verse 1 guard your steps when you go to the house of God to draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools for they do not know that they are doing evil so the preacher here is talking about coming before God in his presence to worship him and that of course And his day was within the temple, which he he calls the house of God. And there is a sense here where he expects us as God's people to do this. It's supposed to be normal, natural, habitual. You go to God's house to worship him as part of your life. In fact, that is the whole identity of God's people. It is tied to our worship of him. We were created to worship him. Because God is our Creator. So not only are we called to worship Him, but we're called to worship Him in the way that He wants to be worshipped. It's interesting to know that the first four commandments in the table of God's moral law, the Ten Commandments, what are they about? They are about worshipping God rightfully. So that means then, there is a right way to worship God And there is a wrong way to approach Him. And the preacher here wants us to be sure we are approaching Him rightly in a way that reverences Him, the way that fears Him. So he says, guard, watch, keep an eye on your steps as you go into the house of God. Do not do so without thinking. Do not do so flippantly. Be mindful of what you are doing. And the very first thing that you do as you guard those steps is simply listen, be silent, listen before you speak, turn your ear to what God is saying, pay close attention to his word as he calls out to you. And there is a very, this is the very reason that we start worship on the Lord's Day. With what? With a call to worship. That is not a call from the elders of the church. It is not a call from your pastor to come and worship. This is God's voice calling you to Himself, to His presence. God speaks first. He has the first word when we gather to worship. And we are simply to listen. To him. But it isn't just the call to worship where we listen to God's voice, for we hear his voice speak to us throughout worship. As his word is read, as we listen to his word, as it is preached, as we even sing his promises, we hear his voice declaring his truth. In the worship of the temple, which again, the preacher who wrote Solomon, Solomon uh, wrote Ecclesiastes, uh, that being Solomon, he no doubt has that worship in that temple in mind. And in that worship, there was a lot of silence. There was much time given to simply being quiet and listening. Temple sacrifices were offered in silence. Silence. Then God's law would be read as the people stood and listened. And this would be followed by an explanation and exhortation of the law of God for the people by the priests as they in turn respond with prayers and songs and vows. And that pattern, that should sound familiar to us here. I hope it does. Because it is the pattern we strive to follow as we worship the Lord. But why the silence? Why the listening? Why must we listen first? Well, the preacher explains. He says, To draw near, to listen, is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools. What do fools do? Well, they act without thinking, they speak first without listening. They rush into the temple with their sacrifice with no thought of its purpose. So a foolish person thinks that the mere act of worship itself is enough to earn God's favor upon them. And think of the narrative of Cain and Abel. God found Abel's sacrifice acceptable for worship, but not Cain's. And why was that? Because Abel brought what God wanted for a sacrifice. And Cain brought what Cain wanted to give for a sacrifice. You see, Abel was reverent. He, he gave his best as God had ordered and commanded him. But Cain did not. He didn't care. He was impious. He gave what he wanted to give. And he thought that through that simple act of just offering something, that that was sufficient to earn God's smile upon him. But it was not. You see, listening to God first requires humility. It means that you see Him for who He truly is and you wait for your King to have the first word. But the sacrifice of fools of which Solomon speaks is one of arrogance. It worships in a way that thinks it can get something from God. And so it rushes in and demands and has the first word. However, fools, as the preacher writes, do not know that they are doing evil. They have no understanding of who God is they lack that humble awareness that to approach God is to approach their creator but it is tempting to approach God in that way because the truth is we all want something from him and we're willing to demand it of him This is why so much of the worship in the contemporary church today is all about demanding things from God, claiming His blessings, though we have no right to them. He simply gives those blessings by an act of His grace. And so people demand that God give them something to make them feel better about their lives, about themselves. They want to feel good. And because we have that pole of our hearts, a pole of arrogance, not of humility, we need to hear the preacher's words telling us, listen, listen first, turn your ear to heaven and hear what God has to say as he calls you to undivided worship. Deuteronomy six, four and five says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Here, O Israel, that is a call, a call to listen. To listen to the Lord who is what? Who is one. That is to say, undivided. And what does He demand then? Since He is an undivided Lord, He demands our undivided selves, our undivided attention as we come before Him with our whole soul, our whole heart, our whole might. And so worship God in fear first by listening to Him. But that doesn't mean that we never speak because we do respond to Him in worship. And so the second thing the preacher shows us here is that when we come to worship God in fear, is not only do we let Him speak first, but when we reply, we must speak carefully. When we worship God, we must speak carefully because of who He is. Verses 2 through 3. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven, and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few, for a dream comes with much business, and a fool's voice with many words. Wise worship, which fears God, speaks at the right time with the right words. Now, we speak to God, of course, when we pray to Him. And we speak to God when we sing to Him. Psalms and hymns are simply prayers that are set to music. And these are the words we are offering in response. A sacrifice of praise to God after we have first heard His voice. And that is, of course, again, why we structure our worship here at Christ Church Ann Arbor around this very pattern that we see in Scripture. God speaks, we listen, and we respond in prayer and praise. But the mandate here is to avoid speaking too quickly and too frequently. This word that is translated rash uh, from the Hebrew and its root It speaks of running fast because something is chasing you like a wild animal and you're trying to escape it. I think the fastest I ever ran was when I was a little kid, probably about seven, eight years old. And the neighbor's German shepherd got out as I was walking home from a friend's house. I don't think I've ever run that fast in my life. That's the idea. Something is pursuing. You just run without thinking. That fight or flight idea. You just go, you don't think about it, you run. And here this kind of speaking is speaking quickly without thought about what you are saying. Rash words are those that just run from the mouth. They spill out before listening. There's no order or meaning or purpose to them. They are careless words. But the preacher here says, when it is time to speak to God, you do it with as few words as possible. Words that you have thought about. Words that are deliberate and purposed and meaningful and intentional. And he gives us a reason why we must be careful with our words. He simply says this, God is in heaven and you are on earth. In other words, God is above the sun and you are under the sun. He wants us to feel that distance, that separation, that transcendent nature of God. And when we are speaking to God, we are not speaking to one who is equal with us. You know, it isn't a neighbor that we chat with over the fence with small talk. He isn't a coworker in the, the next cube over. He's not a friend sitting in the booth at a restaurant. He is our Creator. We are His creation. He is holy and we are sinners. And He is powerful and we are weak. He is infinite and we are finite. God is in heaven and you are on earth. When we meet with earthly kings, our boss, government officials, magistrates, anyone in a position of authority... We speak carefully. We speak with respect. We give care to our words and how we form them and what we say. They are few and they are intentional. We speak that way if we are wise. How much more then should our speech be when it is directed to our High King of Heaven? When you look in the Old Testament... You see all the details regarding the temple, how it was built, its dimensions, the cost of it and its material, its wood, its gold, the the beauty of the details as it is shaped, its architecture and construction. It's meant to give you a sense of awe. It is a towering structure with lofted ceilings that are meant to draw the eye upward and to fill you with this sense of wonder. After all... The temple was to be a dwelling place of God with his people on earth. But even Solomon, who built that first temple, recognized that no structure made by human hands could contain the sheer glory of God. And so at the dedication of the temple, he prayed these words as recorded in 1 Kings 8. He says, O Lord God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or on earth beneath, keeping covenant and showing steadfast love to your servants who walk before you with all their heart. But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, the heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you, how much less this house that I have built. And Jesus gives us instructions on prayer in Matthew 6 in the Sermon on the Mount. And He gives us these instructions. He says, when you go to pray, do not heap up empty phrases, careless words, as the Gentiles or as the pagans do. For they think that they will be heard with their many words. In other words, let your words be few. Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray like this. And how do you start that prayer? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. When you pray, don't use empty phrases. Don't be rash with your mouth. Let your words be few because your Father is in heaven and you are on earth. So be careful. Think. Be intentional. Be true. But the foolish use careless words. The preacher says here that a dream comes with much business. What is a dream? It is an illusion. It is something that is not real. There is no substance to it. Illusions come from busy hearts. Hearts filled with all sorts of unfocused worldly clutter. And a foolish mouth is filled with all sorts of words that are just an illusion. There is no meaning or sense to them. People utter them because they simply think it's what God wants to hear this is how the Pharisee spoke in Jesus' parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. As Luke writes, the Pharisee standing by himself, he prays and he says, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. And so he boasts of what he has done. He boasts of his good deeds. He believed that's what God wanted to hear. He was rash with his words. They spilled out like a a fire hose, blasting out his own self-righteousness. But they were meaningless. They were an illusion. They were like a dream. He was deceived by His own twisted nature of His prideful heart. For indeed, it is the hasty heart that leads to many words, as we see in verse 2. Or as Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And that is why if we are to worship God rightly, if we are to approach Him in fear and awe of His powerful presence and His holy might, We need a new heart. A heart that can speak the right words. A heart that is humble. A heart that is careful with what it says. A heart that prays and worships God like the tax collector in Jesus' parable saying, God be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus tells us that that man, that sinful, corrupt tax collector as he prayed that prayer of repentance he went home justified and made right with god not the pharisee again god is holy and pure and high and lifted up why would we think we can say whatever we want in his presence If we stop and listen to His voice, it will cause us to tremble. It will expose our sinful failures, our twisted and corrupted desires, our selfish will. And it is at that moment then that we run to Jesus our Savior and say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. It is then that He changes our hearts of stone and gives them hearts of flesh so that we might worship God rightly. When you come to worship God, Listen to Him first. And when you come to worship God, speak carefully. And the final instruction the preacher gives here on how we are to worship God in fear, to worship Him rightly, is this. When we worship God, we must do what we say we would do. When you come to worship God, do what you told Him you would do. Verses 4-7 through When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for He has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than, than what you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin, and do not say before the messenger it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For when dreams increase... And words grow many, there is vanity, but God is the one you must fear. The dominant theme through those verses is this idea of vows, specifically in this context, temple vows. These were when uh, an Israelite, any Israelite, uh, an old covenant person of God, would bring before God a vow, uh, a promise to do something if God would In turn, do something for them. In fact, in Deuteronomy 23, we see a a list of laws regulating how these vows would be given. Listen to this. It sounds almost identical to what Solomon writes here. It says, if you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay fulfilling it. For the Lord your God will surely require it of you, and you will be guilty of sin. But if you refrain from vowing, you will not be guilty of sin. You shall be careful to do what has passed your lips, for you have voluntarily vowed to the Lord your God what you have promised with your mouth. And so they promised then to do something so that God would give them something in return. Usually, they would promise some sort of sacrifice or maybe money given to the temple treasury in place of that sacrifice. Though other things were given in these vows as well. For example... Uh, Hannah in 1 Samuel 1 is a barren. And she prays that God would give her a child. And if he would, she would dedicate that child to the service of God in the temple. And God blesses and gives her Samuel. And Samuel does serve the Lord in the temple. Another example is that of Jonah. In Jonah chapter 2, where... He is in the belly of the great fish and he prays, God, deliver me from this. And if God would do that, Jonah says, I will offer a sacrifice, a special sacrifice to God in the temple. But there is a danger in making these vows. The person foolishly made a rash vow and did not fulfill it. As the law says, it was sin. Why? Because they were being dishonest with God. So the preacher says in verse 6, let your mouth not not lead you into sin. Say what you mean and do what you said. Be honest in your worship. Be truthful. We don't make vows in the way they did in the Old Testament, but we do make them. And honesty is still important part of our worship. There are expressions we make of our commitment to God. When we join a church, for example, and become members, we promise in humble reliance upon the grace of the Holy Spirit that, that we endeavor to live as becomes the followers of Christ to support the church the worship of the church to the best of our ability and to submit ourselves to the discipline of the church and to submit to her peace and purity. And church officers, elders, and deacons take similar vows before the Lord. And in many of our prayers as well as our songs that we sing, we make commitments of faith to the Lord. And the preacher's point here then is in verses 4 through uh, 7. It is very simple. He says, what you say to God, simply do it. Be honest before Him. It is foolish to pray to God, asking Him to do something and promising that we would do something in return, which we are never able to do. And there is no excuse if you fail. As a preacher says regarding these temple vows, some would say to the messenger, that would be a priest or some temple official that came to collect uh, on what had been promised. They could not say, well, it was just a mistake. I didn't really mean it. It was just a mistake. That is an irreverent attitude. It comes from a heart that does fail to see God as all-knowing and all-powerful and full of wisdom and might. God sees right through those empty promises that are void of faith. He is a righteous and a holy judge. He knows those who come to Him in faith truthfully. And He knows those who are simply pretending. He is a judge who sees all. And so the preacher asks, why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? Worship Him in truth. Jesus said, let your yes be yes and your no, no. Don't dress up unbelief in flowery language of grand promises. Simple faith. Expressed in simplicity, is a great guard against prideful and flippant worship that seeks to serve oneself rather than serve God. Honest faith avoids that feel good, fluffy, therapeutic worship that so many churches seem to offer throughout history. So the preacher says in verse 7, When dreams increase, words grow many. There is vanity. But God is the one you must fear. Remember, dreams are illusions. They're not real. They're empty. They are a vanity. Pretending to be something we are not when we try to worship God does us no good. It is an illusion. The holy and the righteous one sees all You see, worship isn't supposed to make us feel comfortable. Worship is supposed to make you tremble before God. God is the one you must fear. And that is why we listen first when we approach Him. And that is why we speak carefully when we speak to Him and that is why we must do what we say we will do. We must be honest when we come to Him in faith. That is right worship. Worship which fears God. But here is the beautiful thing about that right worship. It drives you to the gospel of Christ. Because it is Jesus Alone, who opens the door of heaven's throne room so that we might even begin to hear God's Word and to speak words to Him in praise, the sweet sacrifice. And it is Jesus who enables us to come in faith and promise to serve our Lord through the power of the Spirit. You see, you can't even begin to worship God rightly Unless you have been made right with him through Christ our Lord. The author of Hebrews explains that when Moses and Israel came before the Lord at Sinai, they trembled with fear. But then he says this to believers that when they gather to worship on the Lord's Day, he says, When you do that, you have come to Mount Zion the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels and in festal gathering and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven and to God, the judge of all and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant and to the sprinkled blood of that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. You see, when we gather here on the Lord's day to worship God, we must do it rightly. We must do it fearfully, which means we must do it through Christ Jesus alone. He is our mediator, the One who makes this even possible to listen and to speak and to do for His glory. Worship is supernatural. Supernatural. It is God coming down in His power and His glory to meet with His people. And therefore, as the author of Hebrews continues, therefore, let us, God's people, be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. When we do that, we get a little taste of heaven's celebration here on earth. And that's why we need to worship rightly. Because only the righteous are permitted into the presence of God. And it is only through Christ then and His righteousness that we can stand before Him and fear the praise of His name. Therapy doesn't bring you into heaven's courts, but Jesus does. So go to Him. Go to Him and let God be the one whom you praise. He will receive you into Himself. He will forgive you of every offense, every sin, every transgression. He will heal the brokenness of your heart and He will give you peace that escapes human understanding when you go to Him through Christ. Listen to His voice. Speak careful words of praise. Walk in honest faith with Christ your Lord. Enjoying together in this festal gathering of heaven on earth until that day when eternity comes. And of that day, I close with this quote from J.C. Ryle, who was a pastor in the Anglican church in the 18th century. He said, the day is coming when there shall be a congregation that shall never break up and a Sabbath that shall never end and a song of praise that shall never cease, and an assembly that shall never be dispersed. Here we often worship God with a deep sense of weakness, corruption, and infirmity. There at last we shall be able with a renewed body to serve Him without weariness and to attend to Him without distraction." Here at our very best, we see through a glass darkly and know the Lord Jesus Christ most imperfectly. It is our grief that we do not know Him better and love Him more. There, freed from all the dross and defilement of indwelling sin, we shall see Jesus as we have been seen and know Him as we have been known. Here, We have often found it hard to worship God joyfully by reason of the sorrows and cares of the world. Tears over the graves of those we love have often made it hard to sing praise. Crushed hopes and family sorrows have sometimes made us hang our harps on the willows. But there, every tear shall be dried. Every saint who has fallen asleep in Christ shall meet us once more. And every hard thing in our life journey shall be made clear and plain as the noonday sun. Let us worship our God in fear and look to that day when we will see him in all his glory for all eternity. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you again for your word and its truth. We're thankful that you are a great God, holier than we can imagine, higher than we can comprehend. And yet in your mercy and your grace, you speak to us and you call us into your presence. Father, we're thankful that through Christ we can answer that call. And we can speak careful words through him, not perfect words, but words sanctified by the blood of Jesus Christ that do bring praise to you. Help us then, Father, to be honest in our faith, for you are our great God. We pray this in your holy name. Amen.